Aussie inflation leaps up from 3.5% year-on-year to 5.1%, quite a bit more than expected. Does that mean a hike next week by the RBA is inevitable? Well, NAB reckons so. We'll look at that today. Plus, how Europe is coping with Russia. The euro has hit a low. More sanctions are planned, but will they be enough? And the US might help plug the energy gap, but cracks are appearing in the US economy as well. Who's going to take out a mortgage right now, for example? And today, the first look at US GDP and German inflation. It's Thursday, the 28th of April, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the U.S. stock market had bounced back with a vengeance. We saw prices up around 1% up for the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq earlier. But that's been paired back now, just half a percent for the S&P 500, 0.2% up for the Dow. The Nasdaq has actually dipped just below zero. Up in Europe, though, 0.4% for the Euro stocks 50, half a percent for the FTSE 100. Oil prices have been fairly restrained, a very slight rise in Brent and WTI this morning. The U.S. dollar rose even higher today, got well over 103 on the DXY index, um, uh, back a bit from that now slightly, but that takes it to the highest, I think, since the dot-com bust. Almost all of that is coming from euro weakness. It's down three quarters of 1% against the dollar. The pound is down a quarter percent. The Japanese yen is down 0.9%. The Aussie dollar flat at 71.2 US cents. And US bond yields are rising up 10 basis points for US 10 years, up to 2.82%. Two-year yields actually down a little this morning. Uh, there's much less movement in Europe. But the Aussie 10 years are down five basis points, but uh, two years up three basis points. Why? Well, yesterday we saw the biggest rise in CPI since the introduction of GST, more than expected, even more than NAB had predicted. So let's start on that with Ivan Cohn at NAB in Sydney. We've also got Rodrigo on the podcast, too. We'll come to him shortly. But let's start with Ivan. So, Ivan, give us this magic number uh, for those who haven't already heard it. But it was more than expected, more even than, uh, than NAB had predicted, wasn't it? Yes. And look, we were worried that it would be a high number. Um, our business survey has been saying that input costs are going up a lot, that retail prices were going up a lot late in the March quarter. We weren't 100% sure it would come through this quarter um, and we still think there's a lot more to come next quarter. Uh, But, yes, um, so the headline number was 2.1% quarter on quarter. The more important um, call or underlying measure, which the RBA favours the the trimmed uh, mean, was at 1.4% quarter on quarter. So um, those are really, really large um, quarterly rises. Yeah. So uh, where's that come on the trim mean? Where has that come from in the last in in the previous quarter? It was 1% the previous quarter. And look, those took take the two together. So this is over six months. You've got a one and 1.4, um, and that's around two and a half percent, which is the middle of the RBA's two to three percent band, but that's over a year, and this has occurred over two quarters. So yeah, and potentially could get worse because the idea of the trim mean, of course, is that it gets rid of sort of some of the the temporary effects, and uh, you know, but but this is showing this is a bit more than just short term transitory in that case, isn't it? Well, look, there are quite a few um, effects related to COVID. Um, you know, the the supply chain influences, but. I think it changes two important statements that the RBA has made until recently, Um, and I don't think they can say them anymore. So uh, in February they had said, or the last CPI, they said, we've only just returned to the middle 
of the target band for the first time in seven years. That's true, but they're nowhere at the middle of the target band anymore. They're already at uh, 3.7 and they're going to something like four and a half next quarter. Uh, And the other comment was that Australia has, has had much less of a inflationary pulse than the rest of the world. And look, it's a little bit less than um, the US, but I mean, we've got all the same um, distortions that you're getting from supply chain and uh, COVID pressures, and they've just come a bit later for us. So that must mean then that the RBA is going to move sooner rather than later. I mean, does this now sort of cement in the idea that, you know, they'll, they're going to do something as soon as next week? Look, we think so. We've changed our, our call from June to May. Uh, now, I think their plan, the game plan in April, remember in April they moved from being patient in March to saying, look, the, the data over the next couple of months will be important. But I just think the degree of miss even with some of those temporary or long, I'm going to call them long transitory because they're they're taking time to unwind. I just think the degree of miss is so big that they can't realistically or credibly print their new forecasts in May, Statement of Monetary Policy, and not move interest rates next week. And remember, interest rates are at point one. Um, the rest of the world has worked out that they don't need to be there. Um, unemployment's four in Australia. I think it's just, um, it's implausible that you can really make a strong argument to keep rates at point one, even for a month longer. So, Rodrigo, let's come to you now, Rodrigo Cotrill at NAB in Sydney. Even if we are expecting the RBA to move next week, I mean, we're not seeing big moves in bond yields for Australia. We've got a little bit at the front end. Uh, we've actually seen it uh, fall away a bit for 10 years. So, not massive moves. Was the market expecting this? I mean, perhaps, you know, perhaps people weren't too surprised by the CPI read yesterday or the likely uh, response from the RBA next week. Um, well, I suppose when, yes, it's, so when we look at, at the, the sort of the term structure, the, the RBA story really is in the very, very front end. So um, in terms of expectations, particularly for, for next month, the, the market is, is really increases those, those expectations for not only the RBA to hike, um, um, but actually to, to move the cash rate uh, potentially even by more than 15 basis points. And then when you look at June, July and so on, uh, the, the move up in, 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 in price and expectations has been relatively significant. So essentially, uh, the market is bringing forward those rate hike expectations um, uh, for, for the RBA. So um, I suppose the other point to make, uh, particularly in terms of sort of reference, if you like, um, when we look at uh, where the uh, expectations are for, for basically the, the end of the year, the beginning of next year, um, it's still pretty punchy, and, and I think that that's the argument that we'll be making at the moment, that as much as we think the RBA will go next month and continue to hike over the course of, of the remainder of 2022, uh, we don't think we're going to get to the levels that the market is expecting, uh, which just to give you a sense that the market at the moment is expecting a cash rate of 2.85 uh, by February next year. So that that is very, very aggressive, and um, 
almost doubled and or more than doubled than what we think that the RBA will do. Yeah, so, but central banks like that, um, don't they? If there's a bit more uh, a higher expectation, that means perhaps they don't need to do quite as much. You know, if, if, if people are adjusting according to that. But let's look. Let's look at what's happening around the world because it is a familiar pattern, isn't it? Again today, bond yields rising, the US dollar ever higher. When's that going to stop? Equities, well, they had a down day yesterday, but back up today. So I'm wondering, what's this telling us? Have have investors sort of priced in the worst, particularly when it comes to, to shares? It is such a confusing uh, picture right now, isn't it? We're getting mixed earnings. We've got the war. We've got China lockdowns, all the supply chain problems. We've got lots of crosswinds. Very difficult to charter a path through all of this. Yeah, and, and we still got that uncertainty to how aggressive central banks will be, particularly the Fed as well. So... Yes. So my, my sense in terms of the recovery or the rebound that we've seen overnight, uh, you know, there's been a little bit of sort of ease of concerns around what's going on in Europe and, and, and Russia in terms of the, the gas supplies. Um, that story still has a lot to play out. Uh, probably worth emphasizing here that the big buyers of, of uh, Russian gas are Italy and Germany. And those contracts are only expected to really come into uh, to to basically come to an end or the deadline of those contracts is is at the at the end of May. So there's still a couple of weeks where we're not going to see sort of big events if you like and and uh, over the next couple of weeks what what really needs to be resolved is is whether this particularly Italy and Germany can continue to pay um in euros but deposit the money in the Switzerland account and then for the Swiss bank to change it into rubles and therefore there's no uh, breaking of the rules, if you like. Um, so that, that, that needs to be clarified. But uh, uh, at the moment, it does mean that the market now has a little bit of breathing space, if you like, uh, to see how this issue is resolved. But it hasn't yet gone away. Um, and certainly, uh, it's, 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 it's a big deal for, for both parts. You know, the, um, Germany last night came out saying, if, if you cut the gas, this, this is a 5% sort of contraction for, for our economy. So it's a big deal. And similarly, if, if, Germany, if, if Europe stops buying gas from, from uh, Russia, that, that's 120 billion per year, you know, revenue that is gone for Russia. So it, it is a big deal for both of them, yeah, uh, which plays to the view that maybe a, an impasse or an agreement will finally be reached. Well, they have to do something, don't they? Because Russia, if you look at the numbers out overnight for Russia, it really doesn't feel like they're feeling the hurt. Uh, retail sales aren't growing as fast, but they are still rising. Industrial production that was expected to fall is actually 3% up year on year. No change in the unemployment rate. So, uh, you know, there's no nothing standing out as this economy is taking a big hit just yet. And so Ursula von der Leyen today is saying the EU is working hard on new sanctions. But will it be enough? The, the, the meeting at the weekend to discuss it. I think oil, uh, the blocking of oil purchases, obviously, let's not talk about gas, but the blocking of oil purchases might be part of it. I guess in the hope that places like the US are going to pick up on them. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, Biden, our commodity strategist, has been very clear about this, that um, ultimately there's just not enough energy out there to, to substitute, uh, uh, you know, Russian energy to, to Europe. So um, whatever decisions they make in terms of cutting off uh, Russia, um, it is it is going to hurt, and and you, you know if you haven't got energy, then you have limited output, and therefore you need to be willing or accepting the fact that you, you're not going to be growing as much as as you you could grow. Um, so they're all tough decisions, and uh, as much as the the improvement in sentiment overnight is encouraging, um, you know we think that there's still a lot more volatility to come um, given the uncertainties and, and the big decisions that still need to be made. And the, the short-term problem, the, the cutting of supplies to Poland and Bulgaria, they're just buying from their neighbours. The EU is saying they're going to invest in more storage. 
uh, well, they try and find alternate sources. I mean, th- th- this is the, this is the big problem that Europe and the UK got themselves into. They just didn't have the storage facilities to cope with with, uh, with peaks and troughs. So there's a learning. Careful, you're not going to get those overnight, are you? Yeah, I mean, and ultimately, ultimately, this is you know, the, there's a huge, great story if you like for Europe in terms of how much growth opportunity there is, how much investment opportunity there is in in basically all this energy and and and, and fiscal support that will come alongside with it. But in the very near term, um, there's a, there's a contraction coming, and there's a big sort of you need to get through the the, the near term contraction and struggle, and then the investment and recovery phase uh, that should come. It looks looks good, but near term it doesn't look good at all. Yes, I mean, I, actually, you've also there's a whole new country to rebuild as well when we're through the worst of this. So there's lots of lots of, lots of upside on the other side. <laughs> That's uh, right. The U.S., of course, you know, uh, they're not going to see that to the same extent. Uh, and, uh, you know, while they're sailing through all of this somewhat better than Europe, I mean, I'm just wondering whether we are starting to see, I mean, Ray talked about, uh, housing and, you know, that maybe that's, you know, the reluctance to buy new properties might be uh, a flag of, you know, just a downturn for the US economy. We saw pending home sales again falling for the US mortgage applications well down. I mean, that stands to reason. The 30-year mortgage rate now is almost 5.4%, the highest it's been since 2009. You would hold off uh, taking out a mortgage right now, and that's surely that's going to flow through to the construction sector. Yes, with a lag, and, and that's where the, the, the trick is or the, the difficulties for, for the central bank, for the Fed, to really assess the true impact of mm. all of this. Um, um, I suppose what, what the mortgage rate, what is interesting this time around in this cycle is that the, the lift in the mortgage rate has occurred very, very rapidly, almost like in a vertical line. Um, whereas in previous cycles, typically the mortgage rate has increased a little bit of kind of a little bit ahead of the Fed pricing or Fed movements of, of hikes, but nowhere near to the degree that has happened. To some extent, it's all been sort of front loaded this time around and therefore the impact on the housing market could be actually a lot quicker than, than many, many, many historical references will, will let you believe. So, um, that is a big concern. And, and if anything, that is a big question mark for, for next year, really, for, for the U.S. economy, where they can actually cope and continue to remain as sort of buoyant as it is at the moment. Now, the next 24 hours, U.S. GDP. We also get inflation numbers for Germany. Uh, a bunch of other stuff as well, but let's look at those first because they seem like two significant numbers today. Yes, I mean, I suppose the, the, we are being getting uh, the, the German uh, inflation number is ahead of the, the European um, number that comes out on Friday. Um, and I suppose the story there is, is, is basically inflation is, is very strong, very elevated. Uh, when, when you look at the year-on-year number, um, it's not as actually expected to change. It's expected to remain at 7.6% in Germany. Uh, but it, that is still a very, very, very elevated number. Um, and I suppose that the important dynamic here in Europe will be, or rather in Germany and in Europe, will be the nature of the rise. Um, because the ECB has been very clear, and Lagarde in particular has been emphasizing that Really, all this bulk of increasing inflation in Europe is coming from that energy story and, and therefore, you know, lifting the cash rate or the deposit rate in Europe is not going to do anything to reduce the, those increasing prices. Um, but if you see a broader nature or a broadening of that inflation dynamic, um, then, then that's a different story. And, and I think so the details will be important. Um, and, and for the U.S., the GDP number, well, it's expected to be a little bit lower than, than others uh, at 1.2%. Um, 
Um, but I suppose, again, the details there will be important. There's a lot of focus around the inventory, CapEx, for instance, um, um, which will play to the view that, um, you know, will give us a bit more color in terms of the nature of the drivers of growth in, in, in U.S. as well. And Japan, uh, well, you know, we know inflation is not much of a problem there, uh, but they do have problems with the slowdown. We perhaps might see more evidence of that today because there's a, a chunk of numbers out from Japan and the Bank of Japan, which presumably will do what they're very good at, which is not very much at all. <laughs> yes. And I, I suppose the important thing of the Bank of Japan is that we will get new numbers. So whilst mm. no, no change in terms of policy settings uh, are expected, um, the importance will be what do you actually, what is the bank seeing in terms of the inflation dynamics in particular? Um, and whether in the guidance um, there will be a hint that they will be willing to change the policy settings if inflation surprises on the upside, for instance. Uh, so, so the language will be important, and what uh, BOJ uh, Governor Kuroda says after after the meeting will also be very important. And New Zealand trade data, that is the first set of numbers out today, and uh, the business acti- activity outlook as well. And now that that business activity, that's going to show us uh, costs and price intentions as well, where they're going. Of course, they shot up last time. So, you know, those people keeping an eye on inflation in New Zealand, they'll be important numbers to see as well. Yes, and, and the sentiment from the business side because mm. of that as well. Well, the music's playing. That means it must be time to go. Good to have you back, Rodrigo. Thanks, cheers. And that is the morning call for this Thursday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.